Titus chapter 2, God willing, will be going to a new category today. We talked about the aged men last week, and this morning we'll be expounding verses 3 and 4, talking about the aged women. And there are a lot of aged women in here, isn't that right, Brother Stone? <laughs> All right. I wasn't talking about y'all, by the way, not y'all. I was talking about some of the other aged women in here. <laughs> the title of the message is Aged Women in the Last Age, Aged Women in the Last Age. In chapter 2, Paul is telling Titus what he should be teaching the people of God to be. Last week, Paul told us what the aged men should be like in the church. And this week, he'll be telling us what the aged women should be like. As the aged men have biblical standards, uh, Paul said, if you look in verse 3, the aged women likewise. See that? The aged women likewise. Aged men have biblical standards, and aged women do too. God has Christian standards for both genders. And by the way, there's only two genders, okay? He has Christian standards for both genders. God made them male and female. And some of those standards are going to be the same because we're all Christians, right? Assuming you are. But the difference in our genders necessitates a difference in our standards as Christian men and women, okay? There's some things that are going to pertain more to one gender than the other. So let's go ahead and take a look at some of those standards that Paul, under the inspiration of God's Spirit, gave for the aged women in our churches. Paul said we should teach them, look in your text, that they be in behavior as becometh holiness. The behavior of mature Christian women should be becoming to their holy position in Jesus Christ. That's what he's saying. There are two truths here that are very important for us to understand. And we're going to learn from this verse. I think I'm cutting out a little bit, aren't I? Yeah. All right. I think I'm cutting out. So maybe we can put some fresh batteries in here. Don't know if it'll help, but we'll sure give it a try. Brother Rick's probably watching right now thinking, yep, need new batteries. All right. We'll give out a word on see if that helps. Brother Rick usually has these, but he's he's gone, and so the the men upstairs who normally are doing one end of the technical crew, they're they're having to double double play it. So they're doing things they're not used to doing this week, and I appreciate their hard work very very much. But the two important truths that we learn from what we just read. First, when uh, and let's look back since we had that interruption. That they be in behavior as becometh, say that word with me, holiness. Holiness. Here's the first thing we learned about that. A woman's lowly position as a helper doesn't diminish 
her holy position as a child of God. And we'll say that again. A woman's lowly position as a helper does not diminish her holy position as a child of God. Second, a woman's holy position should be reflected by her holy behavior. Her holy position that she has should be reflected by her holy behavior. Now Paul, instead of giving us positive commands for a woman's holy behavior, he's going to give us negative commands for her holy behavior. In other words, he's going to start by telling us not what women should do to have holy behavior, but what women should not do. And by telling us that, he's telling us that women might have a propensity to do these things, so I'm going to cut that off and tell you don't do that because it's not becoming holy behavior. All right? And so Paul goes on to say that women need to have holy conduct, look back in your text, and not false accusers. Now the Greek word that's translated false accusers here, uh, it's diabo, diabolos, uh, diabolos, excuse me, diabolos. <laughs> Uh, and if you could think in the Latin term, uh, and Brother Shepherd already knows where that's, where that's going, what's the word for devil in Spanish? Diablo. Diablo. All right. So I'm wanting to say Diablo, but it's not in the Greek. So uh, it's Diabolos. So uh, it throws you off when you think of it. But you don't have to be a Greek scholar when you hear Diabolos to know what that word means. It means devil. It's where we get our word devil from in English. And uh, the word devil is how this diabolos is most frequently or most commonly known uh, and translated in the Bible. When you see the word devil, diabolos. And so knowing that, how come Paul didn't say, you know, that she shouldn't be a devil? Well, that's literally what he said, to teach them to not be devils. Well, how come then that did the King James translators, why didn't they just translate it devil like they translated it devil other places in the Bible? Well, I believe there's a very good reason for that. Uh, it's because the, the word devil means traduce. Traduce, if you're taking notes, that's T-R-A-D-U. C-E, traduce. And the word traduce, it means literally, it has the idea of moving something from one place to the other. Leading something or someone from one place to the other. Now, centuries ago, if someone did something bad, or if they just wanted to humiliate somebody, maybe they got captured or they, again, they did something bad. They wanted to humiliate them. They'd take that person out and they'd just drag that person through the street and humiliate them in front of everybody. Now, when they did that, remember, traduce means to drag something or lead something from one place to the other. So when they did that back then, they called it traducing. Right? They would traduce and just lead that person through the street from one place to the other and everyone laughing at them or whatever they were doing, uh, scorning that person, humiliating that person. 
And so that's literally what it means here. That it says the, old, the, the, uh, the older women should be holy women and they should not be traducers. That's what it's saying. And uh, that's why the devil is called the devil. He's a traducer. You know, the Bible calls the devil the accuser of the brethren. You know what he does when he accuses the brethren? He's just going up there just dragging their name out. You know, remember what he did with Job? He, he, God, the devil told uh, God that, well, he doesn't love you. He, he only serves you because of what he can get out of you. And if, if you take all it away from him, he'll curse you to your face. <clears throat> but God is not in the business of traducing us. The devil traduces, he accuses the brethren. He seeks to accuse us to God and to destroy Christians' reputation as believers. On the other hand, 2 Peter chapter 4, verse 8. 2 Peter chapter 4, verse 8 says, Charity shall cover the multitude of sins. So God covers sins. The devil celebrates and exposes sins. To a person who wants to sin, the devil celebrates. To a person who doesn't want to sin, the devil tries to humiliate. Does that make sense? If you're a sinner and you love your sin, the devil will celebrate you. If you're a child of God and you happen to mess up, the devil will try to humiliate you. Charity, that is love, covers sins. The word atone in the Bible, that's what it means. It means to cover. God covers the sin. That's what the love of Christ does for us with Jesus' sacrifice for our sins. It atones for the sin. It covers the sin. God doesn't traduce us. When Adam and Eve sinned in the Garden of Eden, God didn't take Adam and Eve out, strip their fig leaves off, and walk them around in front of all the animals and say, Good look at these people right here. Bunch of sinners. God clothed them. He covered them. God's not a traducer. So a Christian woman, a mature Christian woman, she has no business talking bad about other people. You see how we can get practical with this now? She has no business running other people down, especially those in the church, leading them uh, metaphorically down the street uh, with her gossip and humiliating those people. Paul's not saying that we shouldn't call sin out when we see it. We should. We should say, hey, that's wrong. But Paul is saying that we should not deliberately expose the wrongdoings of other people because when we do, we're behaving like the devil. You know, we, we, we get in the habit of wanting to put people down and if someone begins to celebrate somebody and says, you know, that's a good person, you say, well, I tell you what, and you know something about that person. You think, well, you know, that, that person's being respected in this person's mind. You say, well, I tell you what. Blah, 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 blah. And you start giving the beans on, spilling the beans on that person. Now, now you've lowered their opinion down a little bit about that person. makes you feel better. You know what you just did? You traduced. You just drugged that person across the street of that other person's mind to humiliate them. Where love could cover those sins. You didn't do that person any good. Now, if there was a sexual predator that was trying to become a Sunday school teacher 
and you knew that person had issues like that, that's when you need to uh, let somebody know, right? That's different. Now you're protecting somebody. You're not just trying to humiliate somebody, okay? So uh, don't, don't do that. Cover sin in love rather than exposing it in a prideful and harmful way. That's what Paul's saying. Paul then said older women should be, look back in the text, not given to much wine. Not given to much wine. Boy, that stomps on the toes, doesn't it, Miss Ann? Not given to much wine. <laughs> they should be given to holiness, to sobriety, rather than to much wine. Wine, alcoholic beverage, it robs the mind and, and, and spirit of God's uh, faculties that He's given our mind of of reason and judgment and discretion. And that goes for any other drug, whether marijuana or prescription drugs or whatever, that, that rob the mind of the same. Uh, America's full of drug abusers. Full of drug abusers. I used to investigate uh, prescription drug diversion. And I can tell you from first-hand knowledge, there are many professional, educated people who are addicted to prescription drugs they're looking for an artificial peace they're looking to in some measure escape life numb it they numb their minds and their bodies sedating themselves from reality i don't want to sedate myself from reality i want to be fully aware of what's going on i want to be fully aware of my god but christians especially mature believers should never ever take anything would suppress their minds from being able to fully comprehend the scriptures, to be able to be fully aware of the presence of God, of the glory of God, or to fully love, trust, and obey His word and will. If you're a Christian, you have no business being addicted or under the influence of any drug or alcohol. No business. Paul said the aged women need to look out for that. I think a lot of women, because of their emotional uh, uh, tendencies, they, they, they become prone to uh, being reliant on prescription drugs and things like that. I remember a lady when I grew up. I was too young to know what Valium was. But I remember this lady when I grew up, and any time she would uh, get under stress, she'd go, whoo, whoo, I need a Valium, I need a Valium. <sighs> we don't want to be like that. Mom and Dad, y'all know who it is, I'll tell you after church, unless you remember. No, I won't, I'd be traducing, never mind. I take it back. Judge thyself, lest thou be judged. I take it back. Paul said the aged women should also, back in your text, be teachers of good things. Older women, you mature Christian women, you have an enormous potential to influence younger women in your church and in your, your surroundings. Enormous potential. You have an enormous potential to be a role model to younger ladies. Paul said the older women should be teachers of good things. 
And that means they, they should be teaching the younger women what womanhood is really all about. Teach them how to be a woman. One of the hallmarks of weak, older women is that weak, older women will begin to, to uh, imitate younger women. Y'all ever seen that? Weak, older women will start imitating younger women. They'll start dressing like the younger women. They'll start acting like the younger women. They'll start painting their hair colors of the rainbow like younger women. Uh, they, 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 because they think it makes them look younger and more attractive. I see older women do that sometimes. And I think, what are you doing? You look so silly. You're acting so silly. Older women, y'all listen. If you're acting and behaving and gravitating down to the, the silliness of younger women, you're providing no standard for that younger woman to grow up to, to mature to. You're hurting them. Older, older women, God didn't let you live longer so you could go backwards. He let you live longer to help the younger women move forwards. That's your job as an older Christian. Older women should be setting the example for younger women and not the other way around. Paul said they should be teachers of good things. Namely, look in your text in verse 4, that they may teach the young women. The devil's attacking our young people today like nothing I've ever seen before. I know they've always been under attack. But oh, at the pressure they're getting attacked now, especially in the public school system, in the movies, the, the films that are being put out to, to uh, uh, attack them specifically and undermine the morality that God wants them to have. The devil is attacking our young people and they need some older, godly role models to be examples for them. The world has many avenues into our young people's minds. The world sets a pattern for our young people every day. So our young people need older Christian people, men and women. But today, Paul is talking to the women to be setting those godly patterns for those younger people to follow. Paul said, you older women should be teaching the younger women the good things they should be doing as women of God instead of what the world is telling them to do. He said, the older women should be teaching them, look in your text, to be sober. And that in the Greek, it means to be sound in the mind. It means to have their heads on straight. This has the idea of older women correcting the carnal and youthful fallacies of womanhood. Sometimes a young woman doesn't have her head on straight. She gets all silly, all emotional, has some pie in the sky. It's probably one of the children pressing the button in the nursery. Has uh, some pie in the sky outlook on life. She gets her standards of womanhood from the Hallmark movies. Thank you. If y'all want y'all, we'll go check on the nursery workers. We'd appreciate that. Make sure it's not a child and someone actually needing help. That's an alarm button for the nursery. Thank you. But the, the young women, they'll, they'll watch these Hallmark movies. They'll watch some, some love shows or something, and they'll think, oh, that's the way life's supposed to be. It's not real. It doesn't work that way. That's some crazy person's idea how life's supposed to be. And so, uh, uh, suppose a young woman gets frustrated with how things are going around the house. 
Her husband's getting on her nerves. And so when she gets to work, she tells her girlfriends about it. Those girlfriends, those worldly girlfriends, you know what they're going to give her? They're going to give her worldly advice. They're going to say, girl, I'd leave him. You don't have to put up with that. And she starts thinking about it day in, day out. And she goes back and complains about him again, thinks about it day in, day out. And sadly, that same woman can come into church and tell some of her girlfriends in the church the same problems that she's having at home. And she'll often get the same advice from the church ladies that she got from the worldly ladies at work. Shame on them. Shame on them. For not being mature enough as women of God to be able to set that woman straight and give her a sober mind. Wake up. Put your head on straight. That's what Paul's saying. Teach them to have a sober mind. What that woman really needs is for a true woman of God to sit her down and tell her how life really works. That's what she needs. She needs someone to say, suck it up, buttercup. She does. You made a vow before God to stay with your husband. And you need to first focus on being the woman God's called you to be. And then you need to start praying for God to make your husband the kind of man God created him to be. But bailing out on your vow is not the answer. It's only going to bring more heartache into your life. And it will. Paul said, older women, teach the good things to the younger women. Teach them, look back in your text, to love their husbands. Older women need to be teaching the younger women to love their husbands. Church, my, my wife will tell you that I frequently... When I encounter her at home throughout the day, maybe I see her in the kitchen or maybe she just looks at me or whatever, I don't know. Maybe she just wakes up and rubs her eyes, I don't know. But when I see her throughout the day, sometimes I'll begin to laugh out loud with joy. Yeah, I, I don't plan it, it's just an amazing phenomenon. She tells me all the time that God must have walked me on the head to make me adore her as much as I do. And I, I'm sure God did walk me on the head in some gracious fashion. I have so much respect for my wife that it just spills over into grateful adoration that God gave me a woman like her. But adoration is not what Paul is talking about. Paul said a woman needs to be taught to love her husband. Men can be adored because they're handsome. Brother Shepherd is greatly adored by his wife for that very reason. Men can be adored because of their money. That's what made my mother fall in love with my dad. She adores him for it. Adores him. They can be adored for their personality. They can be adored for some position of power or privilege that they hold or some other admirable quality. Women can be attracted to men for many different reasons. But being attracted to your husband isn't the same as loving him. Adoring your husband isn't the same as loving him. 
Now think about it. Paul is saying the older women should be teaching the younger women to love their husbands. Now you can't teach a woman to be attracted to her husband, can you? That all depends on what the individual's attracted to. That all depends on what the individual adores. You can't teach a woman to adore her husband. Sometimes husbands aren't very adorable. Sometimes they're pretty disgusting. But the Bible says, mature Christian ladies, you can and should teach women to love their husbands. Adoring your husband is a sweet emotional experience. Loving your husband is a righteous and holy commandment that you must obey. There's a difference there. Jesus died for us, not because He adored us, but because He loved us. As sinners, there's nothing adorable about us. If we could only see with God's eyes, then we would see the sin the way God sees it. And it would be very, very disgusting. But as sinners, there's nothing adorable about us. As sinners in the eyes of God, we were disgusting. But God loved us anyway. Not giving us what we deserve, but giving us what we so desperately needed. Ladies, as you were in the eyes of God... then you need to let your husband be in your eyes. As you were in the eyes of God, your husband may have lost his luster in your eyes. He may be disgusting to you in your eyes. His mannerisms or his looks may really be disgusting to you. But God didn't command you to adore him. He did command you to love Him in the same way that God loves you in spite of your sin. That's disgusting in His eyes. Love is not physical or, or emotional attraction. Love is not adoration. Love is a choice to be faithful to someone as God has been faithful to you. That's what love is. Love is a choice to keep your vow to your husband as God keeps the vow He made to us in the gospel message. If you think breaking your marriage covenant with your husband's okay, then I suppose it's okay for Jesus, who is the husband of the church, to break His marriage covenant with us. Walk out on us. Let us die in our sins and go to hell. Say, I'm through with them. No, that's not what God does. And that's not what you need to do. You need to be as true to your vows, to your husband, as you expect God to be true to His vow to you. Love is a choice to be good to someone, just as God has been and still is good to us. Older Christian women need to be uh, pulling less mature women aside and, and start teaching them how to love their mans. Ladies, I, I love spoiling my wife. I do. I get a kick out of it. I like loving and caring and protecting and surprising her and providing for my wife. 
And you, ladies, you need to get a kick out of it too. Not protecting and all those things. We have different roles in our genders. But you need to get a kick out of giving your husband what he needs, not what he deserves. Be so good to your husband that he goes into shock wondering what's got into you. Now I'm serious. That's fun. You, you start being so good to your husband that he goes into shock thinking, man, what has gotten into her? And you know what? If you do that, then before long, he may get whopped over the head too. And he may start doing the same for you. But even if he doesn't, even if he's still that disgusting fellow, you still love him because that's honorable in the sight of God. Teach the younger women, Paul says, look back in your text, to love their children. You say, oh, well, all women love their babies. No, they don't. Remember, a loving and adoring are two different things. Loving is not the emotional adoration. You can have a woman who adores her babies and doesn't love them. Loving your children is a choice as well. So many children get sat on the sidelines while their selfish mothers pursues some worldly selfish ambition. Sit those kids on the sidelines. Ladies, helping your husband and raising your children, the nurture and admonition of God, are the two biggest callings in your life. And if you leave one of those callings to chase some other calling, then you have missed the boat on what it means to be a mother and a wife. A real woman will sacrifice for her children, not sacrifice her children for her selfish pursuits. We need mature Christian women to set the example and teach the younger generation what God expects out of them. Will you be that kind of woman? Will you be the kind of woman Paul's talking about in Titus? I hope if you're here today, and I don't have anybody in mind in here, I'm just preaching the word, but if you're here today and if the scripture points out to you some error in your life that you've been wrong in, change your mind and agree with God's word and eagerly embrace it. And when you're knocking your husband's socks off and doing for him and caring for him and loving him, as the Bible says to, even you say, well, Brother Richard, it's difficult. You don't know my husband. Don't do it in your strength. Do it in the love of God. When you do that for your husband, you remember how God loved you when you were unworthy. And you think, you know what? I am going to love my husband in that same love for him. I'll love him in God's love. And I want to do for him like Jesus did for me on the cross. He sacrificed and gave me what I needed, not what I deserved. You do that. Make it your passion to do that. And to mimic the love that God had for you. You may be surprised what changes start coming to your home. Men, you do the same on your end. 
But ladies, this message is for you. And God willing, we'll take back up in verse 5 next Sunday. Boy, aren't you glad we have some straight shooting scriptures in the Bible that take us and say, hey, this is the way you need to be. This is what you need to be doing. Thank God for that. Father, we thank you for the clear message of your word. Lord, the world and our flesh and the, the weakness of our of our fallen nature, Lord, it, it just tends to cause us to gravitate downward to to what we don't need to be and how we're not supposed to be behaving and, and to have worldly ideas in our minds, Lord, but your word is so refreshing to us. It corrects us where we're wrong. It points out to us the the mark that we need to be hitting. And I'm so thankful, Father, for the clear uh, the clear word that you've given us here in the scripture. I pray for each and every woman today that you'll inspire the young women, Father, to be what they were created to be and the older women to help pull them along, Father, to be a holy example for them to look up to. Oh, how we need that today and ask it in Jesus' precious name. Amen.